Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 427th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting this New Year's Eve 2019 across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And this is the place where technology meets entertainment. Now, we're the Bob Pritchard Organization. want to wish every one of our readers, our listeners and our corporate clients a very happy New Year and a sensational 2020. I think it'll be a fantastic year this year, next year, which is only seven hours away now. This year, in fact, in fact, this whole decade has gone incredibly quickly. But I think that 2020 is going to be a good year for the world. It will bring prosperity to everyone who's prepared to work for it. The opportunities in this time of change are unparalleled in history. One of the sad things about these times in which we live is that the majority of the population believes, and mistakenly, that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and is getting worse. You know, there's a natural bias towards bad news. An article in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology sums it up, saying negative information weighs more heavily on the brain. Negative stimuli get our attention so much more than positive stimuli, which makes evolutionary sense for survival. Nice things are enjoyable. Bad things can be deadly. So let's focus on the bad things. And given that in the news media, the attention-grabbing headline equals money. The more attention, the more people buy it or watch, the more money they make. So there's a real commercial reason for giving us nothing but bad news. Good news simply doesn't sell. However, the bad news bias gives us a totally distorted and inaccurate picture of the world. For example, 67% of Americans think global poverty is on the rise, and 68% believe it's impossible to solve extreme poverty in the foreseeable future. In reality, poverty's decreased by 80% since 1970, according to economists at Columbia University in the Massachusetts, Massachusetts, bloody hard word, that Institute of Technology. The truth is that we are now in one of the most peaceful periods in human history. When compared with any other period from our past, the recent wars are not nearly as violent or devastating, nor are they as frequent. The problem is media bias and exposure to crime and violence on a daily basis. We get it fed to us constantly. It creates the illusion of a world in decline when in reality, it's tolerance for crime that is steadily diminished. The numbers tell the story. There's less crime than there ever has been. We should change our perspective accordingly. The truth is that the world is generally getting much better. Bill Gates believes that by 2035, there will be no poor countries in the world. And it's not just income. This also applies to health, education, security, and freedom. 
in all of these measures, the world's improving. Legacy and Prosperity Index, which is based on data from 167 countries that have 99.4% of the world's population, based on 300 social and economic indicators, confirms this. Across those dimensions from 2009 to 2019, 158 of the 167 countries in the world have seen considerable progress, much of it very dramatic, and particularly so among the poorest countries of the world. According to the index's scoring, Denmark and the other Nordic countries come out on top. They occupy the first five slots, while the best scoring region overall is the United States. However, the real differences between the wealthy countries are differences that are not captured in the index because they they basically refer to personal preferences. For example, Denmark comes out as the best, but that's assuming that one wants to live in a secular, homogeneous culture with high income redistribution. Some people want that. A lot of people don't, including me. It's much more good news that there are lots of different styles of prosperity in the world today. In the vast majority of countries, healthy living and education are advancing rapidly. Not long ago, the two most improved countries from 2009 to 2019, Myanmar and Togo, were considered to be lost causes. In fact, they've made the greatest improvements in this short period of time. In the past decade, only 19 countries have deteriorated. The greatest declines came in Venezuela, and as you know, it's a basket case of a government, totally bloody incompetent. Syria and Yemen, which have been involved in civil wars. The index reveals that when countries fail to progress, it's not due to any region or any population-specific characteristics. No one is destined for poverty. The problem is generally war, tyranny, and lousy government. Now, bad news just doesn't hold our attention. It also demobilizes us because it suggests that disaster is inevitable. Disaster isn't inevitable at all. The belief that something can be done and that we can do it inspires action. Bad news, especially in world poverty, often stimulates hopelessness, therefore inaction. The world's not getting worse. The world's getting indisputably better for most countries than the overwhelming majority of people. Billions of people are more free, they're healthier and more prosperous than they ever have been in history. So our New Year's resolution should be to push even harder. Don't forget to get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. It comes out daily. We talk about all sorts of subjects from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to things like Hyperloop and blockchain and Bitcoin and artificial intelligence and a whole range of other subjects. So if you don't get the Bob Pritchard newsletter, you are missing out. So what you've got to do, go onto my website, bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bobpritchard.com. And just register. You'll get it tomorrow. So, um, and it's worth tomorrow's my first newsletter of the year, and it's a ripper. In the dawn of a new decade, we're looking at dramatic changes. 
and the world's going to the world's going to change more in the next ten years than it has in any other hundred year period in history. And one of those revolutionary changes is three D printing. And the world's biggest 3D printed office building is now in Dubai. The entire building was constructed in 17 hours. The first 3D printed office building in the world. And Dubai is the global hub for the development of this technology. The development's a, um, it's a partnership between Dubai and Winsun Global, which is the Chinese enterprise that we've all heard about lots and lots of times before, and they've been involved very heavily in research and development of new construction methods, new materials, and printing 3D houses. They've printed thousands of them. And this initiative is part of the Dubai 3D printing strategy, which aims for all buildings in the Emirate to be 3D printed in just 10 years. 3D printing technology is rapidly coming of age. And this project marks the beginning of an important transformation in the construction and design sector. The 3D printer, it's 20 foot in height, 120 feet in length and 40 feet in width. It is a fucking monstrous machine. It was on that was installed on site in two days and then the building was built. So this is so much faster than traditional construction methods. It depends where. But in Dubai, you get them, you get things built pretty quickly, but it nevertheless would be a couple of months. In somewhere like Australia, it would be a couple of years. But um, it's faster. There's no excess materials. There's absolutely no wastage. It took three people to build instead of a whole army of con- um, contractors. It's just one person to monitor the printer's functionality and then a team of 10 electricians and specialists to do the, the plumbing and the electrical. And the entire cost of the project was only 140000 bucks. It cut building costs and labour costs by over 80% compared to conventional buildings. Now, these savings translate into enhanced productivity, higher economic returns and increased sustainability. But... It means there will be a hell of a lot of unemployed builders. (laughs) Well, and when you look at the fact that um, truck truckies, truck drivers in America are losing jobs at the rate of knots and autonomous trucks where you don't need drivers um, are happening very quickly. It's a pretty grim picture for employment. The design office space for exhibitors and workshops as well as offices. Innovative features have been adopted to make the building energy neutral so it doesn't use any energy. Recreational cannabis, that's been a boom. 11 states now approve or have legalised cannabis and, of course, medical Marijuana is a big thing. So I thought today, since it's one of the biggest investments available at the moment, it was appropriate to talk about it. So my guest after the break is Dr. Alan Frankel. Now, Alan, he's a great bloke, actually. He's just not very far from where our office is. 
He was clinical professor at the University of California, Los Angeles School of Medicine for 18 years. So he knows all about how the body works. He's got that pegged. Um, he was, um, he's won all sorts of awards and he is one of the world's leading authorities on cannabis medicine. And I'll be back with Alan in just a moment. This is Bob Pritchard. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Over the past five and a half, nearly six years, we've given you insights into the lives of somewhere around 320 of the world's most interesting business people. We talk about what they do, and uh, the challenges that they faced, what makes them special. And we also try to find out what it is that makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to have a successful business these days and to do something unusual. So people who have gone before us and have made a success of it, well, we need to listen to them because otherwise we'll end up making the same mistakes that they did and uh, that makes your road to success just that little bit harder. So the aim of this segment is to assist you to overcome challenges, to seize initiatives and to become highly successful. So if you're sitting at home listening to this, then pay attention because a hell of a lot of really good information comes out of this segment. My guest today is Dr. Alan Frankel. He graduated second in his class from the UCLA School of Medicine and was elected to the Alpha Omega Alpha Medical Honors Society. And for three years, Dr. Frankel was selected by his peers of one of LA Magazine's top internists. He was a clinical professor at the University of California, Los Angeles School of Medicine for 18 years. The Chartscape medical software program used by the UCLA Bauer Cancer Center and the eScript medical software utilized by Kaiser Permanente were both developed by Dr. Frankel. After a distinguished career in traditional medicine, now this is where it gets really interesting. Alan Frankel is one of the world's leading authorities on dosed cannabis medicine. 
Now, with 35 years of experience in internal medicine, Dr. Frankel implies his knowledge of all aspects of the cannabis plant and its therapeutic value to the treatment of multiple serious medical conditions. Now, it's about here that I've got to say, uh, Alan is my doctor, and uh, I'm um, taking marijuana tablets, and so far, they are working extremely well, and it enabled me to get off a couple of regular drugs that I take that, um, if you listen to the television commercials, against them are pretty nasty and cause all sorts of problems. So so that's all good. Alan, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You are being heard right around the world. Well, thank you. It's great being on your show. How I can't wait you? to smile off my face. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm excited but for today. Then I start a busy day with patients right at 10 o'clock. All right. Okay. We'll get on with it. Um, it's... It's really confusing to me, um, it's not as confusing as it was, but the difference between medical marijuana, the marijuana that people sit around and smoke, and um, hemp. When you walk along Venice Boulevard, there's 20 shops selling marijuana if you've got anything more than a cold, and you see all these groups of people sitting around the outside these shops smoking joints <laughs> they should be the healthiest people on the planet but they don't look like it so what's the can you just quickly explain the difference between the three things or more if, it, if there's more well uh, first let's differentiate between hemp-based cbd and cannabis-based cbd right um, although these plants are in the same genus of plants they're very, very, very different plants. And theoretically, some still think they're in the same species, but I found it very hard to breed these plants. And at the end of the day, the fiber plant, the hemp plant, was meant for fiber use and making paper, um, you know, a million goods, fuel, food, and it does have about 1.5% CBD. But it's also missing the... Uh, first, decent cannabis plants have about 15%, but the big difference is the entourage effect. Cannabis has hundreds of other cannabinoids, minor cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, plant waxes, and a bunch more, um, and hemp doesn't. So um, you just can't make the same medicine um, out of hemp as you can out of cannabis. And we've done many, many, many small trials with 20 patients at a time where we blind them. They don't know whether they're getting hemp-based CBD or cannabis-based CBD at the same concentration. And there's nobody who feels it's the same. It's, um, we need to grow more hemp to be used for the right purposes, and we need to grow more cannabis for the right purposes. Right. Now, I've got the impression that most medical doctors are not enthusiastic about prescribing marijuana. Um, that might be wrong, but seems to be it's my impression so is that because doctors really don't believe it or is it because the um big drug companies are so far into their pocket that they brainwashed well i think it's some of both um there is a lot of doctors i mean there's a decent number of doctors who are comfortable writing the recommendation to the license for the medical cannabis that they won't go into any details about dosing because 21 years ago 
in a condom decision, and I believe the ninth federal circuit, um, it became illegal for doctors to give dosing information. Right. Um, so that scared a lot of doctors. To me, it seems so silly. I found out about that in 2006, and I just couldn't then, and I can't now believe that they're going to come and arrest a doctor for giving dosing information and call it aiding and abetting. Um, but doctors also have just a fear of having anything to do with it, even giving somebody the recommendation. Um, I mean, I got into a number of issues with the medical board. I mean, the medical board, I feel like, is, is changing, and the mainstream doctor view is changing, but there's still a number of doctors out there that um, are terrified of it, and they right. don't believe it has any medical value. I mean, I don't think they've read an article on it, but um, it, it's, come, it's changing, and at least in the community that I work in, in Southern California, the overwhelming majority of my patients come from physicians. Um, now, sometimes it's not the physician's idea, it's a patient's idea, and they ask the doctor, and they said, yeah, I'd go see Alan. Um, but I've, definitely my main work is in the, med- in the main medical community. That's where I want to stay. Do um, When you say doctors are not allowed to prescribe doses, is that just for marijuana or because they prescribe doses of everything every day, don't they? Yeah, well, it makes no sense. I mean, but when you think about 21 years ago when this law was written about dosing, what was there to eat? I mean, there was weed and there were some undosed edibles, and there was no way, in my opinion, to have medical cannabis under those circumstances. Right. I know, I know some will disagree with this, but to me, medical cannabis is when you as a patient, me as a doctor, and the dispensing um store, all know how many milligrams of cannabinoids you're taking. That's what's necessary to do it medically because otherwise, it's not that, I'm not saying people can't get better and feel better by smoking or taking edibles, but as far as using a doctor to be involved with it, what's the point? If you don't know what you're taking, what can the doctor really say? Sure. So after having a distinguished career as a medical professional and, and very successful one. How did you get started in the cannabis industry? You wake up at two o'clock one morning and go, aha, I've seen the light. I'm going to become a marijuana specialist. How did it come about? Well, I woke up about two in the morning and I couldn't breathe. And this was 1999. And I went, I was just getting over, I thought, of bronchitis. And I went to my friend who's a pulmonary doc and he said you're in heart failure so he walked me over to the heart doctor and I had a viral congestive heart failure cardiomyopathy and ended up with a bunch of heart biopsies I was given a fairly short time to live but I just didn't want to consider a transplant and um, I was very depressed I mean 49 my kids were grown but still that's too early but, but I just didn't want to do a transplant and then some friends of mine came over and did a reverse um, intervention. I had, believe it or not, never used cannabis until I was 49 and I got sick. Um, and three months later, my echocardiogram and everything was completely normal. Now, I'm not saying that the cannabis fixed my heart. I don't know what role it played, but I do know that it made me feel a whole lot better and it turned on my brain again and I started reading literally thousands of articles in the National Library of Medicine, and I became sold. And I, when I first started my practice, 
11 years ago, I thought it was going to be much more sophisticated with some dose medicines back then. But, I mean, we really didn't know anything. Well, and, I'm, I'm really glad you made it because if you hadn't made it, I'd still be on those crappy drugs. <laughs> well, this is all... <laughs> It's all about you, Bob. <laughs> why, why do you recommend whole plant cannabis medicines versus hemp or laboratory-made medicines? Is that simply because of the – well, I think you explained it before that it's a totally different ballgame. But um, how do you determine what to recommend? Well, as far as how to make the medicine out of the plant um, – I use nature's recipe and just keep all the molecules that are in the plant oil to begin with. I mean, I think it's fairly pompous for me to think that I know better than the last tens of thousands of years on exactly which molecules are important. And every year that goes by, we learn more about the hundreds of terpenes and flavonoids. I mean, yes, it makes it more tasty and more aromatic, but these all have tremendous medical value. And... To me, the better we get at extracts, and the, the more the extracts smell like cannabis, the better we've done. Um, and ideally, if we do an extraction on a particular strain, let's say an OG Kush, which has a, a scent that a lot of people recognize, the extract should smell like OG Kush. Um, and not because it, oh, that's cool, but because it should have the same medical values. When I... Um came in for my consultation you you um created or had a special um combination of of cannabis for me how, how do you decide what dosage should be for what type of um ailment how do you how do you make that decision well if i told you i'd have to kill you <laughs> <laughs> so it's a guess <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, there's like everything else in medicine, of course, part of it is at the end of the day, I think this, but I've been doing dosing for eight years. Um, and for a number of years, I would have people bring in their extracts and I would watch them dose because it's not legal for me to dose them. And I would mark down the dosage and the response and the the caretaker would take the person home and we followed up and we did hundreds and hundreds of patients like that. And then finally, about eight years ago, seven and a half years ago, we had enough CBD strains um, and with enough ratios, enough different terpene profiles that we started having a whole formulary. And as I continued to practice, if I felt we needed, or if I thought we needed a different extract with a different group of molecules, maybe extracted in a different way, I've been really lucky to be able to work with some collectives. I can say, make this and tell your your chemist to call me. I speak to the chemist. They make it. I take a look at it. And then we see what it's useful for. I mean, there are a number of times we've made extracts. Um, long before THCA became a popular deal, we were making the extracts and trying them on people. Um, so that's how we learn. So do you have... Uh, is it sort of a collective of people who specialize in the mar medical marijuana that all compare notes? And is it like the medical profession where all this research goes in everywhere and everybody compares notes? I would have to say there's a little bit of that starting, but very little. There's a lot of 
the, the medical or the cannabis business is a complicated business and people, uh, money becomes a very big deal very quickly. So people don't want to share information. Doctors have, uh, have very much avoid dosing. I mean, right. I do feel at times lonely. I would love to have that type of camaraderie with other doctors. And I have a little bit of it, right. but it's just starting. And doctors are going to have to believe somehow, and I'm not sure how our government's going to reassure anybody about cannabis right now, but just reassure that, yeah, you can dose. And I mean, when I think about being arrested and then the jury saying, wait, this doctor didn't give any dosing information, that's why he's being, you know, punished. No, no, he gave lots of dosing information and can't do that. Right. Um, what I liked about coming to see you is that um, you spent an hour, uh, I mean a full hour listening to what my symptoms were, etc, etc, before you made any suggestions whatsoever. And usually if you go to a doctor, you know, you get 10 minutes and they throw a bunch of pills at you, give you a couple of samples and go away and come back in three months. You've got a totally different type of um, uh, practice. So how do you how do you not succumb to the greed that most doctors seem to succumb to? I, you know, I, I don't know why money has never been, that's why I don't have very much. Um, it's never been number one, two, or three. I mean, when I had my children were young, obviously I need, needed to make more money. Yeah. Uh, but it was never my number one. I mean, my number one was, well, other than being a dad and now being a my sixth grandchild is on the way, by the way. Oh, good. Congratulations. So, so awesome. But I've always loved practicing medicine. And I think uh, if you end up as a doctor and you are truly very, very empathetic, and I'm not saying that's a blessing. That's a blessing and a curse. Right. Then you're kind of forced to either be miserable and have your patients be miserable, which mostly they are, or you have a good time with it. and. Yeah. Voltaire in 1732 stated, the art of medicine consists in amusing your patient while nature cures them. I believe that. And I, you know, I think as doctors, we help manage people. But I mean, did I cure you with this? No. But if you're feeling better and you're on less medications, I would consider that a success. Right. Uh, when I walk along the promenade at Venice Beach, apart from being amused, there's a couple of dozen marijuana dispensaries with big signs saying, if you've got any one of these 500 things wrong with you, everything from a cough to an ingrown toenail, come in here, we'll give you a marijuana card and you'll be cured instantly. Is that is that really all hype and marketing bullshit or is it really a wonder drug? Well, okay, the re I sometimes get embarrassed when talking to patients or giving talks and go down the list of all the things this does. And it seems, it does seem too good to be true, except if you look upon it as critical nutrition. Right. And I think these molecules are critical nutrition for us. And just like scurvy coming across or pellagra or beriberi, all these other nutritional deficiencies in populations over history there are tons of very, very sick populations throughout history just because either a piece of an orange or some other or thiamine or 
B6, I mean, the, then CBD and all these other cannabinoids might be essential nutrition. I think they are. So are you saying that most things that are wrong, that go wrong with people, um, I, I get internally not a broken leg or something, but most things that go wrong with people are all linked back some way to nutrition? Well, broken leg is actually linked to nutrition, not just through vitamin D and calcium, but also CBD um, increases the speed of a healed fracture by 30%. Um, so even with a broken leg, the nutrition is important. I mean, do I think there's cures for everything in nature? You know, I'd have to say I don't know, but I suspect there's a lot, lot more than we we're ever taught. And we know things are being destroyed in the Amazon, and I don't think things would be destroyed if, if it was all useless. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I've become a plant medicine doctor. It doesn't mean I never write a prescription or never prescribe a pill, but it doesn't happen that often. Right. So, why is it that um, the medical profession, it, in in the main, and the government are so seem to be so anti um, medicinal cannabis? Well, I would take those two groups separately. The government feels the way it does because they want it for themselves. I mean, the, the number of cannabis drugs that are coming out and new drugs that will be released. The U.S. federal government has well over 500 patents on cannabis. And sometimes when I want to find a way to do something, I just type into Google, U.S. federal patent cannabis on blah, blah, blah. Right. And you take that blah, blah, blah and search for it, find out what, if you can get it retail, and all of a sudden you've got a part of a future patent without violating a patent. Right. Um, so the, the money is 90% of the reason the government is against this, because they want it for themselves, period. And that's why they're actually much more supportive of recreational cannabis than medical. I mean, look what happens in Washington, Oregon, Colorado. Um, as soon as recreational is there, medical dies. And the reason is, it's in large part, I think, doctor's fault. If you don't have a doctor that's pushing the maintenance of medical cannabis, it just goes back to recreational where it was before all of this started, except it's legal. Um, now, doctors are mostly just fearful of losing their license. Um, there's fear about, I mean, when I first started 11 years ago, the stuff I got, I heard from doctors that liked me. I'm not, I'm not talking about the ones that might not like me, but that liked me and respected me, that you, what are you doing wasting your life? Right. You're wasting your life, and you're going to get in trouble. You know. So you have to decide... If you want to push the envelope, um, I think it, you have to be somebody that can be scared. I mean, there was plenty of times, I mean, I was scared or didn't sleep or still, if I hear a siren, I think it's something else. So, I mean, there was a lot of, I had well over 20 undercover cops. So it's fear, but you have to be willing to live with that fear. Um, I think I was lucky that my kids were grown. I was a little bit older. Um, I don't even have a girlfriend, so there's nobody to tell me what not to do. So, I mean, there's several doctors that I've hired, I haven't hired, I've interviewed, that I need, by the way, if there's a good primary care doctor out there, I'm looking for another doc. Okay. But they're interested in it, but then their spouse says, well, you crazy? You have two young kids. And I get that. I mean, so 
I, I think the doctors have the fear and the government has the greed. Is this, um, is this going to change? Well, let, let's go back to the comment about where they've legalized recreational marijuana, that um, medical marijuana uses it as declined. It, is that because people think that because they can smoke pot, that's going to um, solve their problems without getting more accurate prescription? Whatever. People, don't know. people just don't know. I mean, um, nationally or even in Los Angeles County, 15% of people use cannabis on some regular basis. That means 85% don't. So, and the majority of people have tried cannabis at least once in their life, but it was a bad experience. It was high THC. People, most people don't want to smoke. They don't want to get stoned. And people, if once people truly understand that they could take a capsule, that's dosed, or you could take, you have taken a capsule, yeah. and I know, I, I can't remember exactly what I gave you, but I, we couldn't rely, you know, be public on it, but I know exactly what you're taking, um, and when you're taking it, and if you're not better, there's a good chance I'd be able to talk to you and make a suggestion to make it better, right. because I've just done this enough. Doctors are just too scared, and they, they, the vast, what have the vast majority of cannabis doctors been doing? They've just been writing recommendations for $40, and that's been that. There certainly are some very qualified um, cannabis doctors in the state, um, but very little dosing, and it's a very small number of cannabis doctors. And it also has to be a cannabis doctor who's willing to, you know, bump up on stuff. If um, you know, we see specials on CNN and whatever about how cannabis has worked for all sorts of conditions and um, you know stopping seizures and all those sorts of things. So there must be a fairly strong movement, even if it's sort of an underground movement, to get governments and other doctors to change their attitude. Is that so or not? Um, more so in other countries than the U.S., believe it or not. I mean, Europe, we all think that right now they're way ahead of us with cannabis. And even in Israel, where they do a lot of research, their clinical cannabis is a very small program at this point. Right. Ultimately, it's going to be a very big program. And what some countries are doing, which makes all the sense in the world, is to put the medical cannabis that's in a container with capsules or dose sprays in their pharmacies because they have socialized medicine anyway, yeah. and then have ca coffee, you know, coffee, coffee shops for for smoking. And I, I think that's the way the world should divide this up and just see it as very different. Hmm. Where's the United States going with regard to medical um, marijuana in the next? Where do you see it going in the next five to ten years? Well, I see more states. I mean, we're well over what 35, 38 states have some form. Um, I, I think that's going to get closer and closer to 50. And I don't know how the feds are going to change the scheduling because they have to have something very different than what the, let's call it the organic cannabis market that I'm a part of. So, and, and they don't want their cannabis medicines that are from GW Pharma. I mean, great, good company. It's a very good company. Um, but they don't want their medicine to smell like cannabis. Yeah. They don't want to have 
even a drop of THC in it. So they're stripping out everything else and you've got CBD or you have THC. And those, to me, it looks like are going to be Schedule 3 and they'll leave the whole plant as Schedule 1. So they have control of it. Is, um, so it, it's, even if it's not as powerful, is, is just smoking a joint at, in some way um, medically healthy for or medically good for you? Well, I think a lot of people um, get a lot of benefits from smoking. But the people get benefits from smoking, either they're smoking and they just enjoy the feeling, they enjoy the habit, the break, like having a drink, but this is sure. better for them. Um, and yeah, there are people who use it to help with falling asleep. But when you start getting with pain issues, um, certainly seizure issues, cancer issues, you know, diabetes, and on and on and on, um, multiple sclerosis, myasthenia gravis, I mean, there's a lot of things we treat. I don't know how to treat those smoking because there are certain dosages of different cannabinoids that we found to be useful. Um, then some people, I mean, if they're able to smoke and they like smoking and it works for them, I'm the last person to disagree. Yeah. I mean, if, well, what we, I mean, more people, first of all, just don't want to get stoned or smoke, so they need to know what they're taking. Yeah. And, <laughs> Excuse me. Um, it's interesting that my capsules, I take um, oil in a capsule form, that there's no no marijuana odor whatsoever. Well, there doesn't appear to me, to my nose anyway. It's a um, fairly neutral smell. Well, if you open up the capsule and smell it, it'll it'll have that herbal smell to it. But yeah, it's it's subtle. But if you if you open up a capsule with hemp CBD, um, I mean, it's a very different smell. Yeah, because I, I I just got off being overseas for um, a few weeks and went to a number of countries with sniffer dogs everywhere and uh, just had it in my luggage and. Nothing. No, you know, even the sniffer dogs didn't pick it up. I don't think there's so many drug dogs anymore. I think there's bomb dogs. I mean, oh, they're bomb dogs. <laughs> imagine with all the trouble TSA is in, they make a big announcement. They found a joint. You know, they found <laughs> a joint. Do, does anybody really want that to happen? And do we really want to then involve? I realize there's still some places in this country where that happens, but do we really want resources going to that joint? It's ridiculous, I agree. Um, so are all marijuana plants, you know, we, we hear about these acres of marijuana that are growing everywhere. Can all, can all of those plants be used to create oils that are of some benefit or is there only certain strains that, um, that are effective? I think um, we're just getting started and... This, one of the secrets to the future is better extraction, more complete extraction, and more variety in strains. I mean, we may not know at this point what a new strain might do, but it's going to be different. I mean, it's just no question it'll be have some different effects. Right. So, and it's not just the strain. It's, you know, have you heated it or using it raw? Um, a, lot, a lot of variables. When you're growing the plants, if you let them flower, in the, in, under lights for an extra week or 10 days, you get different terpene profiles, you'll have a different effect. So oh. just how long you um, 
then flowering the plant will make a difference. So it needs a lot more research is what you're saying? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Can, can you get addicted to um, medical marijuana? Well, you know, when the plant comes out of the ground, it doesn't know whether it's going to be used medically or recreational. So sure. can you get addicted to cannabis? The federal government for a number of years has published a list of the rates of addiction, cannabis, um, coffee, alcohol. Cannabis comes in around 5%. Um, coffee comes in at 20%. So, you know, it's, and I think a lot of this addiction, I mean, addiction to me is defined as not smoking once a day or once a week or several times a day, whatever. It's by what it's doing to your life. It's, it's making your life better. And people around you would say, well, we don't like to smell, but you know what? He's much better. Um, or if your life is in ruin, then, you, you know, then you've got a problem, like with any other drug. But the rate of addiction is very low, even according to our government. And withdrawal symptoms, I, I think, are virtually non-existent. And when they often claim that these people couldn't sleep as well, and they were more agitated for a couple of weeks, that's why they were using this stuff to begin with. So it's not that surprising that um, if, if we give up our cannabis that we feel worse. I must admit, I wake up in the morning and I can't do without my coffee, but I don't go reaching for your pills. So I guess I'm more addicted to coffee. <laughs> um, is there a role for medical cannabis in the fight against overdoses and deaths from opioids? Oh, I think that got to be one of the main things we should be focusing on. I mean, first of all, try avoid a lot of the opiate. The, the, the one thing that's necessary to have an opiate addiction is an opiate prescription. So the less prescriptions of opiates that we can start with, the better. So for if it's post-op pain for two days, all right, narcotics, but people need to be switched then to something else, and cannabis would be a fine thing to try. Right. Also, with withdrawal, when I see patients, whether they're cancer patients that are using a lot of narcotics, and they have real pain, um, but they still get addicted, and they still have withdrawal symptoms, and those are pretty much eliminated if you have a, usually like a one-to-one -one CBD, THC, um, withdrawal symptoms from narcotics much, much easier. So that's not adequate, but it's a start. Do, um, does medical marijuana take a while to um, assimilate into your system and therefore a while for it to have effect? Or is it, you know, most of these pills that the doctors force on you um, pretty much have an effect immediately? I'm not necessarily saying always good, but is, is medical marijuana something that works fairly quickly or does it take a period of time or how does so. Both. Both. I mean, there for anxiety, the, the effects of using whole plant CBD come on pretty quickly, often within minutes, literally minutes. Um, for schizophrenic that you're treating with higher doses of CBD, those patients seem to take a couple of weeks. Right. And there are just patients with depression that get better very quickly and some that take three or four weeks. And I'm sure there's different mechanisms. Maybe we have to rely on serotonin enhancement for some of them. But, um, you know, in general, go, you know, start low and go slow, but not always so low. If somebody, you have to leave it up to the patient and their own and assessing as a physician 
the patient's fear of being stoned is a critical part of the visit. Right. Because if they have no fear of it, and they're in a tremendous amount of pain, and they don't have to drive, then you're in a position, well, let's go for it, and, you know, to get this guy a little bit psychoactive, but his pain's gone and he's giggling, that's a better situation. Yeah. It might have the giggling side effect or little stony side effect, but I don't get a lot of complaints about that. It seems weird that, you know, doctors are prepared to describe um, pills that um, are addictive and yet, and people will take those without any, without giving it a second thought, yet they're worried about marijuana, medical marijuana being addictive. That seems to me to be pretty weird. Um, <coughs> so for somebody out there who's using traditional medicine and, and it's not working or they're having negative side effects, how do they, how do they go about talking to you and how do they get to learn more and how do we, how do we build your business so that you can have the same effect on other people that you're having on me? Well, um, first checking out my website, greenbridgemed.com. Type in Alan Franklin, you'll find my website. I've got um, a number of years of blogs there. Right. Um, and calling my office for if you're local to come in for a visit or a phone educational consult. Oh, we do a lot sorry. of those. Or Skype. Okay, terrific. Alan, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. That was That's really interesting because I think um, medical marijuana is something that I, I didn't know much about. My wife put me onto it. Um, and, you know, she who must be obeyed is usually right. And uh, I'm, I'm really pleased that I met you and I'm really pleased we came in for that consult. Now, if you're listening to this and you have some concerns about an illness that you've got or the medicines that you're taking, go and talk to Alan and you go to Greenbridge, G-R-E-E-N, Bridge, B-R-I-D-G-E, Med, M-E-D, dot com. You'll be really pleased that you did. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the 427th Bob Pritchard, straight talking, absolutely no bullshit in this show. We're coming at you in Voice America Business Network. We're broadcasting New Year's Eve 2019 from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard, Hollywood, California. And this is the place where entertainment meets technology. Now, every year, every expert and psychic on the planet makes predictions about the year and the decade ahead. Occasionally, if they make enough guesses, they'll get one almost right. But one thing's for certain, we need to prepared for the un- be prepared for the unexpected in 2020 because things are changing very rapidly. However, having said all that, I'm going to have a shot at what I believe the next decade will bring. 
since the 70s, virtually all money has had no real basis. We used to have money based on gold reserves and other things, but now it's got no basis whatsoever. The government just turns around and says, we're going to pr- we're just going to print a whole shitload of money and that's it. The only reason it's worth anything is because we believe the government's going to honour it, which, of course, they wouldn't. So this is all going to unravel in the 2020s. It's not going to happen. Fiat money is gone and people will be relying on things like gold and cryptocurrency. The incentives of governments and card providers are such that digital currency is absolutely inevitable. In fact, there's a whole bunch of countries around the world that are developing their own cryptocurrencies as we speak. Now, Europe's seen a relative deterioration in its global standing in recent years. You know, Europe's had a bad 10 years or 15 years, and its competitors have really forged ahead. But the greatest threat is the technology advances are just not happening in Europe. All the technology advances are happening in the US and China. Europe has no technology companies at all, the scale of Microsoft and Apple in the US or Tencent and Alibaba in China. Not one of the largest technology companies in the world can be found in Europe, none. So when it, and when it comes to education, Europe lags way behind the United States, which dominates the field globally in elite higher education institutions. America turns out more higher institution graduates than any other place in the world by far, and it has most of the world's leading universities. So Europe needs to develop monetarily, fiscally, and structural policies and reverse their technology deficit. They really are in a hole. Climate change, well, climate change is going to permeate every aspect of our society over the coming decade. We are in trouble. Despite what the morons in Washington tell you, climate change is a serious problem that actually threatens the existence of all of us on this planet. Fortunately, protest movements are elevating climate change politically, again, particularly in Europe. Green parties across Europe had one of their best ever electoral performances in the last couple of years. They came second in Germany. They came third in France and Ireland. And um, it's making people aware. But to achieve climate goals with the technologies available today, significant changes to consumption and production are needed. We have to abolish the ridiculous subsidies for fossil fuels. They're bloody well. It's killing us. We have to shift to measures to adapt to climate change, and many of those can be implemented very quickly. In the next few years, everything will be on demand. And against the backdrop of extraordinary seismic changes, if whoever masters quantum computing will dominate this world, no question. You know, quantum computing will be able to solve problems that would take us tens of years to solve now in a matter of nanoseconds. And China, Russia, America, and a couple of others are fighting for supremacy. And whoever conquers it will win. There's going to be solid growth in autonomous cars, an explosion in electrified cars, with nearly all, by the end of the decade, all cars sold will be electric. 
the 2020s, they're going to be the decade of the six-day work week. I'm sorry, the four-day work week and and um, six-hour six hour days maximum. The next decade will also see the end of plastic credit cards, the end of low corporate tax rates. Corporate taxes have almost halved in the last 30 years and major corporations now, as we know, are paying no tax, and that's all going to change. So the rate of change is accelerating very quickly. 2030 will be a much different place than 2020. Now remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Get out of the way. Let somebody who wants to succeed pass you. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can be normal. Walk down the street. There's thousands of them. They're moronic. So if you're always trying to be normal, you'll always be boring. You'll be as boring as hell. And you'll never know how amazing you can be. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard, and I want to wish every listener a fabulous and safe New Year's Eve for you and your loved ones. Tomorrow, we all embark on what I believe will be an absolutely brilliant 2020. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.